Hey guys, welcome to episode 73 of Bo Knows Stuff. I am excited for you guys to check this out with Dr. Mike Pikarski, DPT, OCS, known on social media as Dr. Kickass. Uh, we touch on rehab for combat athletes, convincing athletes the benefits of physical therapy, and just get into a whole bunch of cool stuff. Excited for you all to check this out. Uh, this is the first episode I'm posting, I think, in 2022 after all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, if you're interested in uh, seeing some of my journey and uh, what we dealt with at the fires here in Colorado, it's all on my YouTube channel. I kind of vlog it on there. I uh, would love for you guys to check that out. Go subscribe, share, save. It's just Dr. Bo. Is the, uh, you should be able to find it pretty easily on YouTube if you go check that out. Would appreciate you guys subscribing, liking, sharing, commenting, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, get into this one. We'll talk to you soon. Get 1% better today. Unique New York. All right, here we go. We are live with Mike Pikarski, Dr. Mike Pikarski, OCS, orthopedic clinical specialist, certified specialist. What's the C? Yeah. I forget. OCS, clinical specialist. Clinical specialist, yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Dr. Kickass, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and why don't we jump right into it and tell us where that name comes from? Uh, it actually kind of came as a joke uh, when I started doing Instagram. Um, you know, I was like, I wanted something catchy, and I didn't think it was going to grow the way it did. Um, and I was like, I had just got my doctorate when I came up with the idea. Um, obviously, I do do mixed martial arts, so I was like, well, I'm a doctor who kicks ass. But again, it was like it was it was like kind of like a joke at first, and then um, my uh, my brand started to grow, but then it became very uh, unique. So I was like, mm -hmm. at one point, I thought about do I want to change it. Uh, to be like have like a little bit more credibility, but enough credible people like still like you know valued what I said. Uh, they valued the content, so I just stuck with it and you know embraced the unique name. Mm, love it, man. Love it. Yeah, it definitely stood out when. Uh, and just for <laughs> for folks, quick shout out to one of my former guests, Frank Benedetto. Oh, nice. uh, he, he he connected us, and uh, yeah, he when he was I, I asked him a question because I know he's in the MMA. Yeah. space as well so i was like hey do you know anything about acl return to sport because someone else had asked me about that mm -hmm. and uh he connected me to dr kickass and i'm like oh okay yeah okay cool <laughs> so yeah that worked well and here we are uh we had a bunch of scheduling issues uh as well so here we are uh after a few weeks uh <laughs> you, i guess you have limited uh in between patient admin time so i appreciate that uh we stuck yeah. with it and I think this was our fifth Wednesday in a row that uh, I think so. We, we made <laughs> it work. like that. Yeah. So here we are right before the holidays and you're up in Sacramento. I'm actually visiting friends down here in Hermosa beach. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, we're, we're in the same state. Maybe we needed to wait to be in the same state for all that. <laughs> um, and so here we are and uh, touching, coming back to it. So Dr. Kickass, you work with MMA athletes. Tell us a little bit about how uh, that clinical setup is, or is there anything that folks should specifically know about, uh, if they're in MM in the MMA space or uh, mm -hmm. BJJ, however, you know, a friend of mine does it. We always joke that it's it's a little funny to say BJJ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anything that uh, the the athletes. Let's let's talk first to the athletes in those sports, any version of martial arts or mixed martial arts um, or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So what what should the athlete know from the physical therapist who specializes in that? I think, it, I mean, you can, you can take this to any athlete, but I think it's a good idea if you are an athlete to work with 
you know, a medical team who understands what your goal is. So, you know, it's pretty common that you go see a medical professional. You're like, oh, I hurt my, my knee, my elbow. How did it happen? I'm doing martial arts. I'm doing this sport. Oh, maybe it's time for you to stop that. Well, that that's like the really lazy answer, right? That's pretty much saying like, yeah, like the person will get better, but like they're going to do the sport, right? So I think it's good for any athlete to work with someone who understands what you have to get back to. I think that uh, combat sports, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, boxing, Muay Thai, they're unique because a lot of traditional sports like field sports, whether it's basketball, whether it's soccer, you know, like they have a lot of similarities, right? Like if you think about it, like most field sports, the goal is you have an object, whether it's a ball, a puck, you know, and you have to get it into a goal, whether you, you know, you're, you're dribbling it, whether you're kicking it or it's hockey, you know what I mean? But they're all very similar. Um, and there, there is different demands, obviously, based on whether you're playing on a field or ice. But I feel that uh, combat sport is very different. And uh, it's very common for me to talk to an athlete saying, oh, I used to work with someone, a you know, physical therapist, but they had no concept what I was trying to get back to do. Right. So mm. I think that kind of helps because from there, you know, like, let's say someone has, you know, an injury. It's like, well, when is it appropriate to get back? And then from a, like, if you dive in deeper at, in that meantime, what can you be doing? Right. So it's like, don't mm-hmm. do anything. What if you can do so from like the jiu-jitsu standpoint, like maybe someone could do like some technical drilling, right. Where it's like, it's, you know, it's not competitive there. It's skill building, but it's in a slow, safe manner. You know, maybe it's appropriate for someone to do what's called flow rolling, which would be like, uh, like, you know, they're moving it. So there's that unpredictable element, but it's not competitive, so they're not going to get hurt again. So there's levels to it, how to get 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 someone back. So I think it is important that you work with someone who understands that number one, and, and then two, like when you work with them, how do you get back? And then how can you try to minimize from this happening again? Right? Because I mm-hmm. think that's common for most athletes is they get hurt, it, like most people. So you don't go to the car mechanic until your car breaks down. Well, what if you could do something so your car doesn't break down, right? I, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty common for athletes too. Uh, a lot of a lot of athletes get it. I think what hurts the combat athlete is because it's still a relatively new sport. There's not a lot of um, money in it. Like in like the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world, there's like I mean, for the most part, there's no money. I mean, like the like the top, you know. 0.1% might get money, but for the most part, it's a recreational sport. Like if you're a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, you still had to pay to go to the tournament, which is crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, when it comes to mixed martial arts, now that's starting to grow, you can make some money on that. Um, but even then, like I would say for the most part, most professional fighters that I know, whether in the UFC or not, don't have health insurance. Um, they pretty mm. much, they rely on, I'm going to get hurt in the fight. And then from there, they can use the medical insurance that's provided from the event. Mm. So, you know, it's their jiu-jitsu people, MMA people are pretty um, common to just kind of ignore injuries. And then, you know, if you think about it, that's kind of like what ends a career is you you accumulate all these little nagging chronic injuries. At some point, your ability to train is hampered too much. So if you can't train, you can't compete. Right. Yeah, that definitely is an underlying theme with uh, almost every sport. But yeah, yeah let's. I want to be a little. I'll, I'll be semi-controversial here, and you can obviously yeah. uh, tell me to to <laughs> take it the other direction if, yeah. if it doesn't fit. But uh, I think for talking about combat sports again, the, the uniqueness of it is you're directly one on one with someone in front of you, uh, like football. 
uh, like, yeah. like a lot of these other sports where, you know, you can't necessarily control uh, what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question that I, I'm going to lead you to here is two, two things that come to mind. One is the kind of TB12 Tom Brady method of pliability um, where, you know, he had an ACL tear early in his career. He had a lineman come down on his knee. Um, and so a lot of what I think his training or the philosophy that's grown immensely and obviously his, uh, his popularity has helped that, uh, above the actual pure, uh, pureness of the, the method, but the basic concept of pliability is like, look, if my, if my elbow needs to be able to, you know, go into a, and the camera's backwards, if you haven't noticed, uh, but if my elbow needs to be able to go into a full, uh, extension, how do I train that in weird angles and these things that happen in sport? The other uh, theory there is, or, or if you're familiar with Joel Seedman uh, on, on Instagram, I know you do a lot on Instagram. So Joel Seedman has some pretty, let's call them uh, <laughs> controversial, yeah. sure. Uh, he talks about 90-degree angles. He says this is evidence-based. I'm not sure that that's fully supported that 90 degrees is the absolute best thing. Yeah. But he does uh, have a lot of NFL athletes. I know Taylor yeah. Heineke from the Washington football team is a recent one he used to highlight. of, Hey, we trained in these weird angles. That again, you don't see, and that's one of one of the reasons he's become so popular because it's weird looking training that you don't like. He has a barbell with one plate loaded, not like the weirdest thing he's ever put out there. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the question that becomes uh, OCS for those not familiar uh, is a pretty pretty intensive exam that displays somebody with those letters behind their name. They know a lot about the evidence, the the kind of conventional thinking around. Uh, how to treat orthopedic injuries, right? So, so I guess I'm asking uh, to bring boil it all down to an actual question. <laughs> so, bear, thank you for bearing with me if you guys made it here on this. Is uh, how do you feel about the conventional kind of method of let's strength train, let's you know, there's sports specific drills we can do versus these kind of slightly more like let's do some crazy shit that doesn't necessarily have evidence behind it, but the theory of pliability or training in weird angles might make us less or more resilient more durable in these this sport that has a lot of weird things and injuries happen in these weird angles so uh yeah, yeah. i guess if, if that makes sense as a question what do you think between yeah, those so two? i i kind of like both because if you look at the evidence you know it's there's a pretty common study that looked it's like i think it was like a, a meta uh meta-analysis where it looked at like uh strength training stretching and balance and which one reduced um overuse injuries the most Strength training was by far the most um, balance. I think there was a little bit and stretching had no effect, but like, then we want to kind of like boil it down. If you, you can think about it. So strength is the ability to absorb stress or load injuries happen when your load capacity is exceeded. Right. So it kind of makes sense. If like, if you can absorb the load, you should make sure that you're not going to be hurt. The problem I have with stretching is you have to think that like, well, a lot of people just do arbitrary stretches. So it's very common to go to a gym and people are like, oh, you should stretch after you work out. And you see them like stretching your hamstrings. It's like, but there's other parts of their body that they could. This is my better. favorite. This is my favorite runner stretch right here. Yeah. It's like, why are you stretching <laughs> your, your shoulder if you're a runner? Like it doesn't make any yeah. sense. Right. So uh, I, I think that that's the problem. I mean, like, I I mean it does. Like it does feel good. I got to say right now. <laughs> I don't feel like you could generalize stretching. You know what I mean? So I think that's a problem. So I kind of would think it of in your sport, do you have the movement requirements to do all of the um, positions that you need? Right. So like there might be some sports where like you don't really need to be able to move in a variety of different ways. 
something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, if you're a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athlete, you you need uh, like an abnormal amount of hip mobility. It's just you need to do crazy stuff with your hips. So it's that's just what it is. So if and if you don't have the movement requirement for your sport, what's going to happen? So now you're pr- pretty much trying to force position that you don't have. And, and what I would say is that likely is going to lead with compensation somewhere else. I mean, it's very common in jujitsu. There's a position called a rubber guard where, where essentially what you do is you bring your hip up all the way and you, you're essentially you're holding your own foot. And it's a way that you can hold someone's uh, their, break their posture. If someone doesn't have the hip mobility for that, it's very common for people to hurt their own knee because if the hip doesn't move, well, the movement's going to come somewhere and then it comes from the knee and that's when you get those LCL, ACL injuries, you know? So I think it is important to have the mobility for whatever you're going to do. Um, and then one of the training systems that I like that, that I find successful is functional range systems. So this is probably similar to what you're talking about with pliability where I will actually train these weird angles. I mean, jujitsu is something where literally the intention of jujitsu is to take a limb where it's not supposed to go, right? So like I'm in someone where I probably should be able to be resilient in some of those weird angles when someone's trying to break my shoulder. Like I got to make sure one, it can get there. And then two, when it is there, do I have the resilience to maintain, right? Because if, if you can't move somewhere, that means that you're already relying on the passive structures, right? But if you can start to get to that range, then you can start doing like this end range strength training. You're going to start to build a little bit more resilience in the quality of the tissue so it can then absorb the load of the force of the joint locker submission. So I do think that is valuable. But again, but but this end range strength training is still strength training. I mean, I'm still doing high effort force at just a different angle, right? Because if you take a joint... Most people, their strength training is mid-range, right? So, like, you're, you're not really kind of working in those end ranges, which, you know, a lot of times some of the problems either can happen at the mid-range or potentially um, as your body is trying to absorb a force. Like, so, you know, like a hamstring injury is usually an eccentric load where the hamstring is eccentrically loading. It doesn't have the force to ability to absorb that, and then it kind of goes, right? So we can kind of... In addition to do end range training, we can do eccentric training to start to train the connective connective tissue architecture to absorb said force. Yeah, man. I love that. And again, for any of my clients that I work with are listening, that's why we do a lot of those controlled articular rotations, which is part of that functional Mm -hmm. range range systems you were talking about. Um, I definitely work that in to a lot of my folks, whether they're training for a specific sport or not. I'm I'm a huge fan of, again, general health and i do think that working through a full range of motion uh is is definitely one of the biggest Mm -hmm. things and if you're uh missing anything i think that's also you know really again uh for those listening super over the top simplification of why we develop knee arthritis or hip arthritis is because we're not moving it through a full range of motion so you get rust so you know it's uh again i was in the crossfit space and reebok was very big in there one of their little uh catchphrases was uh if you rest you rust um, yeah. so, yeah. uh, but, but at the end of the day too, I just want to bring it back to, yeah, that full range of motion. So I love that. Um, I forgot. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen your stuff talking about doing, uh, you know, FRC. I actually had recently had a, uh, an injury on my ring, uh, sorry, ring, ring finger here, uh, or the finger I have my ring on, which is actually my middle finger. Uh, and I'm putting it on there because it's, it's creating a little bit of, uh, compression for now. So, but yeah, I like that, you know, I even saw you had the, you know, different, uh, components yeah, of, yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah. So stuff like that, where 
uh, again, as a general athlete, like it's, it's hard to keep up with every joint of your body. Right. And <laughs> so yeah. that, that's the thing where coming up with a system, having an assessment, having a coach guide you through, uh, or yeah. a physical therapist, whatever we want to use those terms, labels, uh, to guide you through what you need to focus on. That's going to serve you the best. Uh, yeah. and again, like I have a friend who, uh, I met him in Dubai. He does CrossFit and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So he uh, would call me every week with some new injury in his wrist and his, uh, you know, in his forearm. He now has uh, tennis elbow, whatever it is. Uh, and and it, again, because the, the demands are so intense, and he's not doing any kind of supplemental training to balance out or create the capacity. So uh, I want to repeat that concept for those listening. Again, is uh, your capacity. Uh, of every joint is really what we're trying to measure. So yeah. here's my question back to you uh, before we even define that is, uh, is there a way, is there a system, do you measure capacity or are you just working towards, you know, kind of uh, end field if you're working with somebody one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, uh, do you have so, a way? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I would say that like, the, so the capacity and some of it, is, you can look at literature, some of it is obviously based on the sport is you can, let's say you take a joint, right? So first we can look at linear motion, right? Do they have as much shoulder flexion as they need for whatever their sport, right? But, you know, and then one, you could look at what is the, the average range of motion of a human. And it, it's, I don't know, like you should have about 170 degrees of shoulder flexion, right? But then who would benefit more? Who doesn't? Like, so like if you're like an Olympic weightlifter, and you're doing like Olympic level snatches, like you probably need more than that, right? Because you're doing an extreme amount of weight overhead. If you don't have good, you know, like someone asked me, like, is over is overhead, um, you know, is like military press, strict press, like a bad exercise? Well, it's like, I just think that a lot of people don't really, shouldn't be doing it because they don't have the shoulder motion to do it correctly. And if the shoulder doesn't move as much, what's going to happen is now you're going to get your thoracic extension. So now you're going to arch forward and you're in position, but you're really not in position because you're compensating. So yeah. said you could take a joint, you can essentially do like a linear motion, like as a physical therapist, does it have the, the flexion it needs? Does it have the rotation it needs? Um, but then you can also look at like a controller particular rotation is also an assessment, right? Because what that's really measuring is the transition from the different positions. So you take the shoulder as it's going through, do you have the shoulder external rotation? Do you have the flexion? Can you internally rotate, right? Without compensation. So if you can't comp if you're compensating, essentially that's your body's way of saying it can't do it because it has to cheat. Some of it could be like a learned thing, right? So then we can see how much of it is like a passive limitation, how much of it is like just again, they don't know how to do the mo movement. So assess does the joint do what it's supposed to? Can you control yourself? Again, do you have like a one-to-one -one active passive ratio? So if like this is common with a lot of yoga people, like they're very, very, very flexible but they don't have good control of their end ranges. Like, like that's also a problem. So like those are the people that would, would be in the more like instability category. So like, if you look at a lot of like the uh, like, you know, circus athletes, like they freakish range of motion, but they can control the freakish range of motion. So is it true laxity or is it not? I, I would say laxity is uncontrolled motion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like you touched on a lot of very interesting uh, topics and concepts. I'm trying not to, go down every rabbit hole there. Cause I love, <laughs> I love each one of those, but yeah. um, yeah, that just that difference between, so I want to, maybe we'll highlight for, again, those listening, uh, you might get something out of that difference. Uh, what, how I've heard this uh, kind of uh, exemplified before is the difference between uh, mobility and flexibility. Now, mm -hmm. do you, do you define those two kind of, again, within your own context? It's a little um, bit of what you're talking about. 
Yeah. So short answer, yes. Long answer, I was reading someone where I guess <laughs> they were essentially they were saying that mobility. So what you're saying is is flexibility is passive range of motion, mm -hmm. mobility is active. Apparently, in the scientific, scientific literature, mobility is not that. So like they'd almost define it as like passive flexibility and active flexibility. It just so short answer, like I agree <laughs> with you. It's just there's like people who are just as nerdy as me that are saying that that's just the wrong terminology. Right. But yeah, I mean, we, we want to have good passive motion, but then you also need the same active motion because just yeah. having more range of motion you can't control like is not necessarily good. Yeah. And I mean, this is and this is a great example of uh, I'm, I'm doing another podcast, not this Bono stuff one, uh, another one called the Demand Better podcast. And one of my next episodes uh, with my friend David Corona there in New York is demanding better from research. Mm -hmm. And this is a great example of, uh, you know, research is tough and, and I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and everyone's trying to do the best they can. But then they get into this uh, minutia of <laughs> flexibility yeah, yeah, yeah. versus mobility and mobility yeah. also is a term that indicates like how well you can move around. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. all these little things. And so, yeah, it becomes uh, like, like, you know, this academic yeah. free for all where then it, it, when it translates back to headlines or the, the consumer, yeah. it's like, well, what, what does this mean for me? Um, yeah. and I think, I, I think, yeah, of, oftentimes we overcomplicate some of these topics correct. and concepts, but I think that it's good that, you know, we, we have con conversations like this long form conversations that hopefully then, uh, help us help the listener understand, oh, okay, like that makes more sense from what my physical therapist uh, was trying to say. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes yeah, yeah. they overcomplicate it. So yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I, I appreciate you on that journey with me. Do you have any any thoughts on, on maybe that topic of uh, where can the research field become uh, more efficient without, without going too far? Again, there's so many different places that can go. We're going to do a full like hour long episode on that alone, but would love any, any kind of thoughts that spring to mind with that question. Yeah, research is tough, right? Because like the the better research, you know, you need like a control group and then you need what you're actually. So like, you know, like in the physical therapy world, like a common thing is like, well, is manual therapy effective? And it's like, at what? Like, but I feel like some of these terms aren't really defined well because it's like. Yeah, how do you even define manual therapy? You go down that path. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because like, I mean, like look at the different manual. There's like, there's so many different types. And then it's like, mm -hmm. well, you could compare like cupping to grass and to hands on. It's like. I feel like there people are asking the wrong questions. It's like, like, so you take something like manual therapy again. This is going down another tangent, but it's like I feel like that's not defined well, and then the outcomes are not defined well. So when you someone does manual therapy, like, what is the outcome, right? Because is pain a good outcome measure? Because pain is more of like a, a neurophysiological response. It's like usually as a physiotherapist, I'm focusing on function. Right? We want to get the range of motion better. We want to get the strength better, and usually pain resolves. But like, if you just treat pain, like you're just gonna do like ultrasound, eSIM, and like they're not gonna get anywhere. You just temporarily reduce it. So like, is that what we're doing with manual therapy, or does it have a way to have more long-lasting effects? Or how can we have long-lasting effects? Because, like, you know, like people are like, oh, well, well, cupping is good. Well, how does cupping work? Well, it increases blood flow. But like, so doesn't like a warm-up increase blood flow? Like, so is a warm-up just as good as cupping? Right? Like, I just feel that for research, there has to be better defined terms on what we're trying to achieve so we actually can because like you know like there'll, there'll be some study and then it'll be like manual therapy doesn't work well it's like mm -hmm. okay let's 
that's like kind of like a big jump. Yeah. You know, it, it might be right in some level, but it's like, I just feel that uh, things just need to be fined at just a teeny bit better, not necessarily be, be, be too complicated, but to kind of like, you know, you need a, a better idea of what you're trying to achieve for them to decide if something's effective. Like, so we can take an example, like you take CBD oil, like CBD oil, like cures everything apparently and research doesn't support it. But I think the problem is, is like, it's the gate again, the goals aren't defined. Like if you think about it, people say CBD helps with pain, sleep, anxiety. And it's like, there's like way too many things for it to, yeah. you know? So I, I just feel that, and then because of that, people will, they use CBD for, for recovery. Well, it's like, mm-hmm. what is recovery? Like what, <laughs> you know? So like I said, I, I think it's better if what my whoop tells me, <laughs> they, they give me my recovery so along the lines. Yeah. I mean, uh, the other thing I want to point out and we're going to talk about it on uh, again, dive a little deeper on, on that demand better show, not to keep plugging that, but, uh, you know, some, I'll, I'll use a similar example. The CBE is, is BFR, which is blood flow restriction training. Um, and, and again, when my skeptical New York city cynicism, whatever you want to call it, uh, from Brooklyn and all that is that the majority of those studies are funded by companies that benefit from, those studies showing a positive outcome. So uh, it's not, you know, uh, Mike who might not have any uh, financial interest in blood flow restriction and couldn't care either way if it works. And maybe he just cares about uh, improving outcomes for his patients. And that's going to be being able to stay in the sport longer, right? Maybe that's the outcome. Um, And again, in order to, he's not going to go out of his way to fund, go through an IRB, all these steps that are necessary for research unless he has a financial interest and, 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 you know, so the, 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 when we see BFR is equivalent to deadlifting for your posterior chain or whatever the, 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 the report is, uh, I would be very skeptical of those things. Uh, just because again, I bet that the, the only people doing research are people who have an interest in BFR and they also probably aren't telling you, uh, they're either manipulating the data or they're just straight up avoiding like telling any negative, uh, outcomes or, or whatever. And that stuff happens, unfortunately. And, and again, that's a, a whole nother thing. And I'm not calling out any one specific individual or anything, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. but, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, research is that I just want to reinforce to those listening that, uh, research. And it's something I've covered on with a lot of different guests on here, uh, especially anytime we're jumping around physical therapy is research is hard. It uh, is it's, hard. it's freaking tough. So a- along those lines, I want to come back to for that combat athlete, uh, can you share a little bit of your assessment process? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of every human being should have some, like you mentioned, the car mechanic, uh, should have some checkup, uh, you know, and to be able to, you know, good clinician should be able to say, Hey, there's a few things here. Like your brake pads are getting a little low, you know, your tires are starting to wear down. Uh, why don't we change X, Y, Z? So, uh, do you have an assessment you can share, especially for the combat athlete that, you know, again, FRC, like you mentioned, uh, the functional range conditioning or systems has its own kind of built-in assessment. Looking at that movement, yep. you can say, oh, you're missing internal rotation. You're missing 10 degrees here. And that's something that you deem important. So I'd love to hear uh, kind of your synthesis on, on assessment overall. So I guess it would start with someone Someone comes to me because they can't do something, right? Like if you're feeling good, you're probably not coming to me. Or, but I mean... Or um, I might see them on the mat and I can see that they can't really move. You know, there's a few movements that I think are pretty critical for the combat athlete. So be able to kneel is important because in jiu-jitsu, it's all groundwork. Like you kneel a lot. So if you can't kneel, there should be a reason why. And if you have an injury and it's not letting you kneel, 
and someone's trying to do something like they're trying to off balance you, sweep you, and now you're pushed into a range you don't have, obviously that's problematic. So I think kneeling is important. I think for the combat athlete, a deep squat is important for the same reason where we're low because we're doing a lot of stuff on the ground or we're on the ground and we're getting up. So a lot of um, like a deep squat can look very similar to like a, a wrestling position called a shot. So we can look at that. Um, something called a bridge. So again, people use the bridging as an exercise, but in jiu-jitsu, you can use that as like an off-balance technique. It's called an upa. So again, can you do that? Are you not able to do it? Why can't you do it? Um, other things that we could look at would be like single arm stability. Like, can you support yourself in like a one arm push up? Just because if, if you're in a position where you're on the ground, it, this is a little bit more common in wrestling, but if like you're in that position and someone's literally on top of you trying to drag you to the ground, if you just had a shoulder injury. Can you support yourself there? Or cause if you can't support your own body weight, you're definitely not gonna be able to support somebody else. So those are some of the movements that I'm looking at is like, can you do it or if you can't? And then from there, that's when I would do like a more local joint assessment, um, you know, a, a lot of times what I'll do for like my, like my kind of broader compound motion is I, I might throw in some SFMA or the selective movement assessment, like things like, can your neck, can you bring your chin to your chest? Can you look up, up all the way? You know, can you, um, can you touch your shoulder blade? Like that, that sort of thing. And that just kind of gives me like a little quick assessment of like, if something's problematic versus let me get them on the table and actually check their shoulder, you know? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the SFMA that you just mentioned. I pretty much use that on every human yeah. <laughs> I get the chance to assess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you go, I'm just curious again, uh, do you actually measure any kind of capacity, especially with that OCS? I wonder, uh, you know, I know they've talked, I've, I've played in that space as well a little bit, and they talk about some different concepts, maybe again with return to sport type concepts, which is what we touch base on again around the yeah. ACL reconstruction. In terms of measuring, uh, for sports performance, there's specific tests, maybe like yeah. the, you know, for ACL, there's the triple hop or the, the crossover kind yeah. of jump. So, uh, yeah, the, other than you mentioned, you threw out a few of these uh, kind so, of sports specific. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I use those. Like, I guess I could use them as the assessment for the, for me, that's more of like the return to sport. So we'll, we'll, we'll you already said ACL. So we'll go to lower extremity. So like some of the things we'll look at will be like your single leg squat. Like, can you do it or can you not? What's the quality? Do you cave into knee valgus? Um, can you do like a, a single jump? What does it look like? And what, essentially what you're trying to look for is symmetry between legs. Cause in most part, the, the concept is that you probably had pretty close symmetry between limbs. So if you're just coming back from an injury, we can kind of compare how does your right look to your left, right? I mean, it does happen where people did have asymmetries. Like I'm perfect example. Like I had a knee surgery as a kid. I had a, a lateral release. They don't really do that surgery anymore because the outcomes weren't great. So I still have a lot of quad weakness and atrophy. So like if you test me, like I'm not going to have symmetry. So if, if you were like, you know, if I'm going to have knee surgery and I want to see, am I ready? Well, I don't really, I can't compare it to my right leg because my right leg is like a strong athletic leg and my left leg is the, the weak uh, arthritic leg. Like it just, it, there, there, there won't be symmetry. But for the most part, we're assuming that there's pretty close symmetry. So we can use uh, those for the lower or for the upper extremity. Some of the tests I'll use would be like a push-up because again, there's there's some uh, comparative norms where we can look at age. Again, someone might not be that strong, but if like you can only do five push-ups and the, the average person your age has a range of like 12 to 20, that's a problem. Uh, another one that I'll use is the upper extremity closed connect chain stability test. So essentially you're in like a wide push-up and you tap. Uh, I can do the, the Y balance. I do that for the lower and the upper. 
again, essentially what I'm looking for is symmetry between sides where uh, Y balance is looking at proprioception or single arm stability. The uh, upper extremity closed connect chain test is looking at like stability, but also because there's a speed component. So there's a little bit more power. There was some other tests that I was like trying to think about, but they're actually pretty challenging. Like there's this one, it's like a single arm step up test. So you do like, kind of like a single arm push up and you have to like push yourself up onto a step. Uh, I guess there was some evidence that it was good. They looked at it for like football players, but like it's freaking hard. Like <laughs> a lot of people probably can't do that. Um, but those are some tests that I'll look at. Um, I usually use them more at the end of rehab. Um, mm. But again, they can easily be used before rehab just to see like where you at. Like, again, are, are you symmetrical or you're not? Is this something that you have to pay more attention to? Awesome, man. Yeah, that's yeah. some great stuff. Uh, again, that's for those not, again, as familiar. I, I like diving into that because there's a lot of there's no one answer. Basically, even when it comes to return to sport, uh, you know, there might be experts in, like you said, uh, you know, combat sports are relatively on the newer side. So they may not have as much evidence behind it. But for like return to soccer, there's there's a battery of tests that uh, are relatively agreed upon, but still not uh, fully agreed upon. Same thing of, of, you know, what's a good way to prevent that we were talking about. Are there things we can look at to say, hey, X and Y and Z are a little off. Like we should really address that. I think even with blood work, you know, we would think that when we go to the doctor and, hey, your, your HDL is a little off, your LDLs here, like, you know, that stuff is still so far from uh, finalized, I think. And there's so many different areas where it's just constantly changing and evolving and it's hard to keep up with everything. And again, as a consumer, bringing it back to that is, is what should they be looking out for? So, again, I, I think my takeaway, if we can sum it up, sort of is someone like Mike here who can uh, speak to the specific demands of a, spe a very specific sport yeah. definitely seems to have that knowledge. So that's something to look out for where, again, if you're at, with a physical therapist and, and they don't understand these, this terminology, like I, if I had to deal with an MMA uh, athlete, I don't know that, you know, I, I can give my advice. I can give basic stuff, but I don't know the demands of the sport because I've just, I did karate, Shotokan Karate Do as a freaking uh junior high school kid. And I was like a month away from being a black belt, whatever that, I don't know why an 11 year old is going to be a black belt, but you know, uh, other than for money purposes, but yeah, um, you know, past that, I think that looking as a consumer, uh, for somebody with those letters OCS behind the name, that's definitely a great, uh, resume builder. And, and also, um, yeah, just that's clearly specialty. You can go on Mike's Instagram, Dr. Kickass is there, there's an underscore in there, I think Dr. Yeah, underscore yeah. Kickass. Um, and, and, you know, you can see clearly he's posting uh, and, and sharing a wealth of knowledge specifically around that, uh, mixed martial art combat sport type of, of situation. So, uh, another question, I guess I'll throw at you kind of finishing that wrap up is, is in the physical therapy space with the OCS and everything. Um, what, what do you think needs to happen in our little profession here, uh, to, to kind of, you know, some of the issues I think we all agree upon that, uh, we're seeing, uh, are you in a cash based model? You mentioned, you know, a lot of these athletes don't have insurance. It's, uh, it's mixed. It's mixed. Okay. Hybrid model. Uh, and again, the guy that connected us, Frank Benedetto, he talks a lot about that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I just, I guess the question is, uh, yeah. Are there specific things based on your experience in, in this profession that you think, uh, is there like a one, top thing you're running for president of the American Physical Therapy Association? What would your like number one 
change that you think you'd want to implement would be? I mean, I don't, it's hard to say. I, I kind of think that the way that physical therapy is going to start to go is I think it's going to become much more of a cash model. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the last few years, I just think that's been exploding. I just feel that a lot of insurance companies just really limit what people can do. Um, and I think it's going to be get to the point where reimbursements can be so bad. You're going to start seeing so many people. The quality of care is going to go down. But if you are going to be like, a, you know, you know, an athlete, or really anybody that like if you want to get the care that you want, you're, you're just going to have to go that cash route, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I think is going to start to happen. Um, I think that the problem with physical therapy is how it's being branded, because for the most part, for the last, I don't know, 50 years, you know, people in physical therapy, they go to they go to their their primary care, they get a script for and then they're using insurance. So a lot of people are associating physical therapy with like 20 or $30 copay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's not what we do. Right. And, and I think that that's what people think. So if you're in like a cash model, it's like, well, you want to pay more than I can't afford a $30 copay. It's like, what do you think we're doing? Right. You're like, mm-hmm. you go see your primary care. Their job really is to get you to someone who can help. You know, like mm-hmm. but a lot of times people associate a physical therapist with the primary care. Like, oh, I'm going to go see the, P- the, the, the PT, but he's not going to do anything. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I think that from a cash model, like the way things are going to go is you're going to have more time. You're going to really help people get to where they want to go. Right. Um, so it's more of like a, a service than like, a you know, it's like this is what you want. I will pay the provider to get me back to that. Like people want to get back to jiu-jitsu. Like my job is to get you back to jiu-jitsu versus you look at the insurance model, like, well, they don't care about jiu-jitsu. Like they just want you to have like less pain when you go upstairs. So once mm-hmm. you're doing that, like you're done. Well, I mean, yes, in some sense, I can see why they wouldn't want to cover that. So yeah. I think that um, the, the APTA needs to do a better job of like telling people what real physical therapy is mm-hmm. so that it's not, you know, people don't associate it with some like bullshit $30 copay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the analogy I love for all that is, uh, you know, people always tell me because I'm a cash, I'm 100% cash based uh, is, oh, I've tried physical therapy, it didn't work. Um, yeah. And I'm like, that's like saying you tried McDonald's and like all restaurants <laughs> are bad. Uh, yeah. be, and, and, and I think that analogy is really apt of McDonald's is that insurance model. They're just, it's a cookie cutter approach more yeah. often than not. Uh, you can order some different things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's the difference between McDonald's and having a personal chef for an hour say like, Hey, what are your dietary needs? Like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to cook up whatever you want. Oh, you don't like the cumin, you know, in this, like, let's change that. And, and they're working with you for that hour. You're paying for that time and you're not just paying for that time, but you're paying for the, again, I always say, you know, I've spent at least half a million dollars uh, on my education over the years, just between physical therapy school, continuing education, certifications, all these different things. So uh, even the OCS exam, just to sit for that exam is $1,000 just for for anyone wondering. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, it's no joke on top of probably study materials and things like that that you need. So uh, again, applause for for having those letters and maintaining that. uh, Because I know a lot of people also will, uh, I don't know if you're up on your 10 year renewal, but uh, a lot of people I know don't know you're not going to do it. That's a, that's a, I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm doing the paperwork so I, I can renew it. I just got, I'm, I, I did it three years ago. Mm. I it's mean, every it's, ten, it's, it's every 10 years though, right? It's every 10. Yeah. But like they have this thing now where you can like 
as opposed to wait till 10, you can do like small little increments. So it's, mm. it's like easier by the 10 year. Mm -mm -mm. I'm kind of torn on the OCS. Like it's cool. Like you as a physiotherapist, you know that it's hard. Right. I've had zero patients come to me because of no yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it most patients come to me because I'm a black belt in jujitsu mm. and they know they want to get like I could be a, a terrible physical therapist. Like, oh right. you do jujitsu, I'm gonna come see you. Like yep. I like to think I'm not a terrible PT, like I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody gives a shit about the OCS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. And that's another failure of the APTA. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll 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 sit here and be critical and yeah, yeah, it yeah. is a tough it is a tough thing to do. I'm not yeah. gonna take that away. I'll, I'll throw out that criticism though. I don't know if you saw last, I think it was last year or right before COVID maybe uh, they had a big old ad in Times Square and this is where those dues dollars were going. And it was, yeah, again, kind of showing that, you know, working with somebody in a wheelchair and, and, you know, somebody in parallel bars. And again, like, that's great, but that's not showing the, the breadth of, you know, someone yeah. like you, someone like me, what we do and, and just how that's very different than, uh, and, and, and also differentiating us from personal trainers or, yeah. or things like that. So anyway, uh, yeah, man, I think we covered a lot. We, we, we bashed enough, uh, different people and professions and, <laughs> um, I, I appreciate your time. I want to be respectful of it. So, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up by say, asking, uh, where can folks find you if they want to either, uh, work with you, get some great uh, information on, on, especially around those combat sports. So sure. So uh, my Instagram is the word doctor underscore kickass. I have a website, which is uh, www.drkickass.com. I'm also on Facebook. Um, so those are the best ways to reach out to me. Uh, can I plug products? Is that cool? Do it, man. Yeah. yeah I don't... So uh, <laughs> I have, um, I have some digital products. I have a, a kin stretch for jujitsu. So we talked about FRC. If you're someone who, you're having trouble with your body. It's essentially, it's a, a joint health, joint mobility, joint strengthening program specifically for jujitsu. I currently have a lower body, upper body. I'm going to start working on spine. Um, I'm also going to start working on a product um, specifically for the physical therapist who doesn't know anything about the combat athlete. So it's something whether you're a physiotherapist or you're an athlete who's working with a PT who doesn't know what they're doing. It's a way to kind of like talk about some of the stuff that we did, but in like a digital form. So yeah. I go over some like sports specific stuff that I think is important. And we talk about return to sport criteria. Um, and then this way, if you're, you're an athlete and you're like, I need to get back to this the PT doesn't know what it is. Be like, okay, well, this is, this is exactly what I want to do. And kind of, it'd be a way that the PT can work with the athlete, even if they don't necessarily know the martial art or the combat, you know, yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah. I wish you the best of luck with all those products and I know how uh, crowded of a marketplace some of that stuff can be. So yeah. Uh, again, yeah, happy to, to share that. And there's definitely a lot of athletes out there who can benefit from a, a really easy peasy uh, high level of knowledge uh, that they yeah. probably don't have access to wherever they are. So uh, yeah. Uh, awesome. Thank you again so much for your time. Uh, we will wrap it up on that. And again, guys, reach out to this guy. Hope this whole conversation helped you get at least 1% better today. And uh, check us out next week. We'll have uh, a bunch more fun guests. If you have recommendations, thoughts, comments on who you want to see in 2022, we're recording this right before the new year. So uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm sure there's something somewhere where you're looking and reading and listening to this. Uh, all right, we'll wrap it up there. Have an awesome day. Thank you again.